Jess, hey, how are you? Another digital meetup. This is a lead up to HR Tech Spring, and uh, we're honored to have the guests on from the keynotes from HR Tech Spring. Um, so last week we had Jackie Clayton on, who was amazing. Oh, um, Jackie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was great. Uh, Jackie was great. And uh, this week we're lucky enough to have uh, Josh Burson on, who's also another keynote speaker at HR Tech. And really we just want to invite Josh into the community. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite Josh onto the screen. Bill Cudick said, what is HR Tech? Uh, that's a bill, the, the the grandfather of HR tech is asking what HR tech is, but I think uh, that because it doesn't, it's not HR tech anymore. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's the topic. Like, hey, Josh. Hi, Josh. Hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Um, sure. Chris. Oh, Amon's a big fan. Uh, great to great to hear. Hello, Heather. Hello, Amon. <laughs> Yeah, and Christine, uh, you know, it's we you know, we thought we'd have the keynotes on because you know this year HR Tech Spring is something new for LRPA, the conference organizers. Uh, yes, Bill Cudick, the Godfather, and then B, um, you know, this whole world of digital and just con connected and trying to build not connected get people, but building connections is something that we've really, really been focused on. So. It's great. And we have, just really quickly, just from a commercial standpoint, we have someone else on next week, right? Torin Ellis joins us next week. Another fantastic keynote for Spring HR Tech Conference. And if you haven't heard Torin speak before, uh, lots of us have had the pleasure of hearing Josh speak before. Torin brings fire to any conversation. Uh, and we've got all the keynotes, literally all of the keynotes uh, lined up in the coming weeks. So uh, Josh, we're so happy you're here today. We can't wait for Torin next week. Uh, Jessica Lee, if anyone knows Jessica, has been added to the agenda as a closing keynote speaker. We've got Katie Tynan uh, and Mimi Brooks coming as well. So what an honor, truly, to have each of you on, on with us. And Jason, you're a keynote too. Let's not forget. I am. So I see the Josh Burson Academy call to action there. Yeah. Uh, oh, Bill Cudick said you're looking good, Josh. That's a that's a compliment coming from Bill. So let's start with the whole "you're looking good" thing. I'm no. just I'm just being myself. It's amazing <laughs> to keep up, fairly. So um, so I've known Josh for a long time, um, a long time, um, probably like 20, yeah. 20 years or so. Twenty probably. years, yeah, or longer. Crazy yeah. enough. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Josh. For those of you that don't know, maybe you can talk about how you got into this weird world of of HR. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I was a sales marketing product management uh, type person for 15 or 20 years. And then uh, in 1998, I um, went to work for an e-learning startup, which was before the word e-learning had been coined. <clears throat> and um, in fact, the Netscape browser was just sort of being introduced and the whole internet was starting. And um, the company ran out of cash. I ended up having to become the CEO of the company. We sold the company to another company called Digital Think, which was actually a cloud-based learning company in 1999. No one knew what to call it. And then we had the 2000 recession um, and uh, I got laid off and I left and decided I wanted to do some research. And I started doing research on online learning. And that was the beginning of becoming an analyst and learning about 
all the different aspects of HR. But I originally started in training and technology-based training. <clears throat> and that's the reason. And the reason I'm kind of into the tech stuff is I worked for Sybase for eight years. I worked for IBM for 10 years. And so I've always been interested in technology and um, have a background in engineering. So that's how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> there was a little six and a half years with Deloitte in the middle of that and a few other little things. Josh, and if I, you were doing this, I got to ask a question. Yeah, go ahead. If you were doing this, Josh, what would you be doing? I love what I do. I mean, I, I, I work a lot and I enjoy it. I mean, I feel fortunate that I've found something in my life that I really enjoy and I'm reasonably good at it. And HR people are the greatest people in the world, as you know. So we get to work with just wonderful people all day from all over the world. So, um, I mean, I might be a bike rider or something kind of like that, but you know, I get to do that stuff on the weekends. Yeah, that's amazing. So Josh, uh, I was lucky enough at, to have the role at PeopleSoft where we were actually able to hire you, um, you know. Yeah, with the ELMS. Wasn't it called something like that? ELM. Enterprise. ELM. ELM. I, yeah. I still got a tattoo somewhere on my body, <laughs> but I won't share anything about that. We do, we do talk tattoos here once in a while, but yeah. we'll move on. But um, yeah, so I had the opportunity to hire Josh and, um, you know, was amazed at his insights back then. And, and Josh was really, the thing I remember, Josh, and I haven't talked about this, but I'm glad that Timothy loves hearing your story. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's, I, I, I think it's really cool to share stories. And Josh, thanks for being a tr true yourself and talking about getting laid off. Cause one of the things we try to convince people is like, be yourself, like just be yourself. And well, I've always known you as yourself. So, no, I, it's, I it's, you know, I think that, you know, we, we get involved in career issues, of course, with companies all day. I mean, I think what I've learned in my career and I tell my kids this, just find something you love to do. And sure enough, you will build a career around it and don't be afraid to try new experiences because even though sometimes you feel like you're going sideways or maybe not even maybe going down in your career, you're learning something that you will use later. Um, and careers last much, much longer than people realize, you know, I'm in my mid sixties and I don't plan on slowing down. And I think Joe Biden is 78 or something. So, you know, we're going to be doing this for a long time. So um, that's, I think we all have lots of opportunities to reinvent ourselves over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I, <laughs> oh, Bill, no, Bill's, Bill's egging you no, on. You don't want to hear all that. <laughs> yeah. Bill's trying to go into the, the details of some of the past, uh, yeah. uh, the learning space to the talent space. But, you know, I mean, Josh, Josh really does love what he does. And I mean, I, jo I texted Josh this morning and it was seven 30 my time. And I was like, Oh, I'm texting Josh at five 30 in the morning. And I get the immediate response for him. And I was like, Oh, of course I, of course he's up. Of course he's working. <laughs> Um, so I think you're, you're by far one of the hardest working people in the, uh, you know, in the space. And I know that, you know, coming up at HR Tech, one of the things that, uh, that you're going to be talking about are really trends that you're seeing, you know, in the space. And, you know, mm -hmm. one of the trends I know that you've been talking about really for the last year is one of the whole things that we focus on in this community, which is well-being, you know, and, and experience. And experience not just being about technology, but, you know, the, the whole person. So I don't know if you, I'd love for you just to expand on that a little bit, you know, unless you want to talk about sure. SQL Server, like some of these data geeks. Or well, actually, the, the reason the Sybase history is interesting because we competed with Microsoft. So I, I can tell you guys what it's like when Microsoft gets into a market, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, well, well-being 
you know, I started studying well-being as an analyst a while ago, and it what happened with well-being is it was a it, it's crawled out of the benefits department and landed in the boardroom, as I like to put it. It was a feature or a benefit of the insurance policy. It was an EAP, and then it turned into flexible work, unlimited vacation, free lunch, you know, sort of benefit things. And um, and then, of course, right before the um, you know pandemic, the job market was so tight that everybody was just piling more stuff. Oh, let's give free yoga classes. Let's give people backpacks. You know, let's give them bike trips because we want them to come work here. And then during the pandemic, we realized no, it's actually more than that. It's really about sustaining performance under stress and allowing people to learn how to become more productive under very, very uncertain situations. And that's where we are now, where well-being is a topic in leadership development. I'm, I'm reading some CEO research. It's an issue for CEOs. Empathy is, is a new uh, theme for CEO level capabilities. And so we're, we're learning, you know, that the human issues at work are central. They're not sidelines. They're central to performance of the company. So, so that's what's been happening in well-being. And then the other thing that's been happening is I read all these articles. There's one today in the Harvard Business Review about, um, you know, burnout. <clears throat> and the funny thing about burnout, I know we're all feeling it. I wrote an article on burnout at Deloitte in 2016 called The Overwhelmed Employee. That was five years ago. So burnout's not a new topic either. And I was thinking this morning, you know, if you've ever watched the I Love Lucy, where Lucy's doing the chocolates and the yeah. chocolates are going by and she can't keep up, that's kind of what's happening is these tools move so fast and the data moves so fast and the phone's going off and you're getting messages. You know, humans don't respond that fast. So so we just have to learn how to, um, you know, accommodate technology and not let it run our ruin our lives and and i think that's what a lot of this employee experience effort is about is um curating and simplifying and integrating things so that we can um, maintain our human skills in the in the in the world of you know kind of systems that don't need to rest you know software doesn't need to rest like we do software doesn't need to collaborate like we do so that's that's to me and then there's you know then there's the dimensions of well-being. There's the mental health, physical health, uh, emotional health, behavioral health, financial health. All of those things are big issues in companies. Yeah, Josh, there's some great comments in here. Someone just said AU, artificial urgency, uh, which I like that. Uh, I like that comment. Um, community over competition, collaborative overload, uh, lack of prioritization, um, yeah, I mean, I think all of those, you, you, some of you, if you get a chance, go into the polls. You saw, I just launched another poll. Do you think employees are overwhelmed today? Uh, so I like Josh's word, overwhelmed. Click on polls and you'll see, uh, you can go ahead and vote on that poll. I'll just look at, glance at it real quick. <laughs> right now, 24 people, 100%. <laughs> no one says no. Well, there's a, you know, there's a, uh, I was on the phone. We have a thing going on with a client on this. Um, managers have to learn how to tell people to do less. We need to learn, we learn, need to learn to tell people what not to do, what's not important. And I find myself doing that all day in our company. <clears throat> um, and that's part of our job as HR people is to teach leaders how to focus their teams and then help executives avoid 
you know, over communicating too much activity because it because it filters down and then we're all trying to respond to everything. So it's it's a, there's a lot of um, leadership practices, I think, involved in this. I do think it has to be leadership by example, because you can say one thing and then when the leaders in your company continue to pride themselves on being workaholics and always on. We're always multitasking. We're terrible at this, especially as Americans. We pride our addiction to work, our dedication, like we martyr ourselves over work. Uh, and it does have to be leadership by example. We need to see our own leaders stepping away from work and turning off notifications and making themselves unavailable for rest. Um, <clears throat> and then we'll give everybody else permission to do the same. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love the comments. Uh, work from home is a slippery slope. Ending work versus nine to five. Um, and Josh, well, we have so much work, talk about this. I'd love your thoughts on work at home. Yeah, well, yeah, work from anywhere. This nine to five. Well, um, yeah, I've written a lot on this. <clears throat> you know, in the in the beginning of the pandemic, there was this sort of rush to sort of this faddish idea, like, oh, you know, you can work at home for the rest of your life. And then people realized that that's not as much fun as I thought. I got kids here. I got the gardeners coming, knocking at the front door. I got to go get the mail. Uh, you know, I can't be on Zoom all day. Maybe I have to use the restroom now and then. <laughs> you know, so people are realizing that working at home has many positives and many negatives. So we're moving to a hybrid work model. And virtually every company I talk to is building a hybrid work set of protocols um, and, you know, so, but the good thing about it is, you know, one of our clients is Target, and I know you guys work with them, and they told me they could plot the level of maturity of work at home by the things people were buying. You know, in the beginning of the pandemic, everybody bought toilet paper, and then they bought cleaning supplies, and then they bought computers, and then they bought desks, and then they bought cushions, and then they bought lights. And then they bought new furniture and then they bought new drapes. <laughs> so what's been going on is everybody's been upgrading their homes to, to deal with this. And they're going to reach this point where they're going to say, okay, now my house is really comfortable, but I got to get out of here. So people are going to go back to work. So I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, new workplaces and we're going to go back and work in, you know, a little bit more humane work experiences. And we'll end up in a hybrid world and um <clears throat> and the video conferencing is getting so much better uh that it sort of feels like people are in the office now when they're not if you look at the micro the um facebook portal tool and the vr tools that are coming out from some of the software vendors so so to me this is a um you know a new hybrid world of working that that we're all going to be living in and josh have you seen some of those comments <laughs> we are not working from home but sleeping at work Right. right. <laughs> uh, and and we, ha yeah, we have Steve on also who works for one of the largest uh, fireplace distributors in the Midwest. He said, yeah, fire they want fireplaces. No, like, you know, home, the home improvement industry is on fire. I mean, they've been selling tons of stuff. Houses are up, pricing or prices are up, uh, real estate. Um, you know, I think commercial real estate is struggling, but it'll come back. I, I think it'll end up being a hybrid world. I love to question. Todd, I call that the invisible workforce. Yeah, that's so, a great question. Jason, as we all go distributed and digital, there's the risk of the invisible workforce. Uh, if you're not, if you don't have access to 
or, or have an employer who hasn't created a hybrid work model? What about the people who are home out of necessity? Um, there, there's that whole notion of not being visible, so not having the same weight, influence. Having the same well, there's, you know, I have talked to CEOs who have said to me, um, we're not really going to be back to work until everybody shows up in the office. And then the CHRO is sitting next to the CEO and says, um, excuse me, I don't think that's the right way to think about this. <clears throat> so, I mean, I, I'll tell you one story on this. So one of the companies we work with is a big hospital down in Southern California. And the, the CHRO said to me, every Friday, I used to waste most of the day driving from, you know, our office, which is somewhere down out to Pasadena to a meeting. I spent two and a half hours getting there. I had the meeting and then I spent two and a half hours getting back. So every Friday wasted, I wasted at least half my day in traffic. And she said, now we do it online and it works really well. And we all pay attention. And I realized I just saved myself like eight hours, six hours a week of travel and healthcare providers really believe in face to face and healthcare providers in general have been, um, you know, slow to adapt to technology. Now they're getting it. And they're realizing that the culture works. As long as people respect the technology and they pay attention to who's on the line, you can have a very interactive conversation with people even when their videos are off. So, so I think what's happening is companies are realizing they have to be more respectful to the person on the line who you can't see and not just ignore them in the conversation and, and that it will become you know, sort of more common practice. That's, that's my guess. You know, one of the things, uh, Josh, that you I love when you talk about, and I hope we don't take the rest of the time talking about this. Well, let's not. But I love when you talk about workforce productivity. Um, I, I, you often start a lot of your speeches talking about productivity. Yeah. I love that. I know you study it, um, you know, much more than almost anyone I know. And, you know, there's a couple people. Bill has made a Bill Kudik made a comment. Alex Zia made a comment that, you know, people's vacation balances um, you know, are going to have a huge impact on productivity towards the end of the year. And there's lots of talk about PTO and things like that. Yeah, there'll be, you know, we're gonna, there's going to be a lot of people taking a lot of time off in the second half of the year to go on vacation. I think that's okay. I think companies will, will respect that. I think companies will be happy that their employees are out there getting a life again and because they'll come back to work. Um, so I think productivity, there's two sides to productivity. So the whole employee experience crusade is essentially companies trying to focus on productivity, not HR. So that HR isn't an anti-productivity department. It's a pro-positive -pro productivity department. And that's why HR IT facilities is all coming together. But then on the personal side, I think a lot of what is also going on is teaching managers and individuals how to be productive. There was a study done by IBM around 2018, and they interviewed 4,500 CEOs, and they said, "What are the skills you're looking for in the the most in your professionals in the future?" CEOs. The number one skill was time management, which doesn't mean managing your calendar. It means working on the right things, and that is a very complex, high-level uh, capability that's hard to develop. And you guys are all dealing with this. We're all dealing with this. every day. There's a hundred things you can do. What's important? What's urgent? What's not important? What's short term? What's long term? And and learning how to deal and deal with that is part of um, growing up as a professional, growing up as a worker. 
And I think that's the second piece of productivity is companies giving their employees tips on how to manage their time well. You know, for example, when I was at Deloitte, um, one of the unwritten rules at Deloitte is you can skip any meeting or any conference call if you're with a client and you will never be reprimanded for that. It's perfectly fine. Just don't show up or just send an email. I'm with a client. I can't come. That was perfectly fine. And that was a, essentially a cultural rule that said client work is always more important than anything internal. Um, not all companies are like that. Um, so you need some of those rules set so that we know how to be productive in a, you know, in a situation where, where there's just constant incoming stuff. So, so those are a couple of thoughts on productivity. Yeah. You know, there's a great question here, uh, from Damon, uh, Damon Klotz. Which one? Both, well, I'll ask him both. What did Josh buy from Target to upgrade his work from home setup? Um, <laughs> I bought one of those silly lights. Those round yes. lights. I got one of those. Uh, I bought an iPad. I've never had an iPad. I never wanted one. I actually kind of like it. I can please, Josh. See this thing? I got one of those. <laughs> so I can sit here and I can watch the impeachment while I'm on the while I'm doing other stuff <laughs> on the iPad. Um, that's about it. And then the other question, he said, are you concerned about the implications for people who are in the first five years of their career? And really, we, you and I have yeah. talked with your kids and what the pandemic will have on their career path. No, because my daughter and my son are both sort of at that stage. Um, yeah, I think this is a tough time for them. They are Most of the studies show that they are under more stress than older people. Yeah. Um, and I think, you, you know, we as managers, you guys as HR people have to really focus on what we can do to keep young people engaged and give them a good experience and connect with them um, because they're going through a very stressful time. Not only do they have this pandemic, but they grew up, you know, in sort of this recessionary period we just came out of. They're, they're watching their parents being worried about getting sick all the time. So um, they're, and they want to connect with, you know, you know, work when you're young, work is a social experience. I mean, it's kind of about going out to lunch and being with people. And so they don't get to have that either. So it's a very important time to take care yeah. of them. Just, I, I added the, I added the polling question. I just had to do it. Do you have a ring light? Um, we're at 32%, Josh. Yeah. 67% no for those scoring at home. Um, that's kind of funny. Um, so Jess, coming up on HR tech, yeah. Um, you know, we had this massive Microsoft news, this Microsoft Viva thing. Gosh, I'm happy ahead. to talk about that if you guys would like. I, no, it's something, Josh, that I mean, everyone's asking. Say, well, what's, what about Microsoft? What about Microsoft? Is Microsoft okay. the new HR vendor? And I think that I love how you talk about the world of HR vendors changing to work vendors. You know, and I'd love for you to talk about that and the Microsoft in general. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So next, first of all, a week from today, we're doing a webinar with Seth Patton, who's the general manager of Viva. So you can sort of hear it from him. Oh, nice. Um, all right. So Microsoft, I, if you give me a couple of minutes, let me tell you what I think is going on. I've been working with Microsoft for a long time. Uh, when I was at Deloitte, we could not talk to them because they were the auditor, but but since then we've been spending time with them. And Microsoft is an amazing company that does many, many things. Most of your corporate, most of you as corporate 
HR people have Microsoft infrastructure. Your IT people have spent their entire careers getting to know Microsoft stuff. Uh, their technology ranges from content management to collaboration to email to messaging to security to directory. And Azure is as big as a is becoming as big as AWS. Azure is the fastest growing cloud service. Is growing growing faster than Amazon and Google. Um, and it's a great company, you know, Satya Nadella has really changed the culture there. It isn't, it isn't a, you know, kind of a warring culture the way it used to be. It's a much more collaborative company and, it, and it's shown off, it's paid off. You know, they're worth $2 trillion or something like that. Um, so anyway, they, they bought LinkedIn, you know, back a few years ago, 28 billion, probably cheapest, best deal they ever made. Um, and they originally were thinking, we'll connect LinkedIn to Office, and so we'll get all this social data and profile data into the collaboration experience. Well, they also happen to get a recruiting company, they got a learning company, and they got an employee engagement company because LinkedIn bought Glint and, and you know, also owns lynda.com, which is now link LinkedIn Learning. So, you know, so there's this group of people at LinkedIn that are doing all this HR stuff. There's this group of people at Microsoft that are doing IT productivity uh, developer stuff. And, um, you know, about three or four, about three years ago, um, you know, I'm talking to both sides as an analyst and, and, you know, the LinkedIn guys are trying to build a learning experience platform and they want to think about what they're going to do as a recruiting platform and they're doing all these things. And, the, and there's a series of meetings between the, and I'm talking to the Microsoft guys and the Microsoft guys are saying, oh, well, maybe we should build some HR software. Maybe we should build an LMS. Maybe we should get into this uh, HRMS and payroll and whatever. And, you know, I said, you know, you guys ought to really talk to each other because there's no point in doing it separately. So anyway, a bunch of meetings happened. I wasn't at any of them. And uh, they started to realize that there is a massive market for Microsoft technology in the HR domain. And we were, you know, doing our little thing and we, we go up there in 2000, I think it was 2018. We have this chief learning officer forum there. Cause we have, a, I have a lot of friends who are chief learning officers. So we went up there, we had about a hundred chief learning officers come. We have this big two day meeting, mostly sponsored by salespeople at Microsoft. Microsoft guys don't know what to talk about. We have, you know, Kathleen Hogan speaks and then my, you know, some tech, some product guys start showing off. Oh, here's what you can do in SharePoint and here's what you can do in streams and look at how our video can translate. And, you know, and the CLOs are like, my God, how do we get that stuff? And, you know, their salespeople or their Microsoft salespeople are in the room and say, Hey, you already have all that. It's in it. Did you, didn't you know you had it? And they're like, no, we didn't even know we had it. And so what, what, what micro, and the Microsoft product manager's eyes are opening up and they're thinking, whoa, there's a whole bunch of people here in the HR function that don't know a lot about what we do. And they don't even have, they're not using our technology enough. And we're not talking to them because Microsoft sells to IT and sells to industries. They don't really have a, uh, functional specific sales and marketing strategy. So, um, so since then, I'm not saying I'm responsible for this, but we were involved in the early days of it. The Microsoft product teams have begun to realize, you know, now that Teams has become so successful, 
wow, you know, if we had a learning app, look how big it could be. If we had an engagement app, look how big it could be. If we had a well-being app, they went out and bought Volumetrics, which became Workplace Analytics, which is both a productivity and well-being system. Uh, they obviously have Glint. They obviously have LinkedIn Learning. They have Microsoft Learn. Um, they know a lot about learning management systems because they've been through multiple iterations of that inside of Microsoft. They have all sorts of stuff they've built themselves. Um, and so now they're, you know, getting serious about it. And I think the, the brilliant, um, the brilliance of what Viva really is, in some ways, is the marketing. Because what Viva is, is it's initially four apps built on core Microsoft technology. So it's built on, you know, SharePoint and the Azure services and, and things that are there. And this thing called Cortex, which is an indexing tool but they packaged it in a way that, that HR people can understand it. Because if you go to Microsoft, you know, conferences, it's tech stuff. You, you gotta be a geek to, to, to like it. And most HR people don't wanna deal with it at that. They wanna think about the problem. You know, will this help me with onboarding? Will this help me with upskilling? So, so I think Viva is very significant because it, it represents Microsoft's um, the beginning of Microsoft's um, focus on the employee side of work. Now, the other thing that you know, I'll just sort of mention to you guys, one of the meetings I had during the launch process is I had some time with Satya Nadella. And we, we, you know, we were sort of talking about this space and he was trying to understand the space. And I said to him, well, you know, ERP was the manufacturing era taking finance and manufacturing and supply chain and bolting it together. CRM was the customer era of taking marketing, lead generation, customer analysis, and bolting it together. We're now in the service economy. So the EXP is the same thing for employees. We're bolting together all these piece parts of what we now give to employees in their service, in the service economy to build an integrated, and he loved it. Yeah. And he's been talking about it. So they've got religion now. I mean, I think they're getting now, you know, I'm not saying that every Microsoft employee understands it or the whole company understands it, but, th but they see a big opportunity. And of course the disruption to, to everybody in the space is whatever it is you're currently selling, um, does it fit into the Microsoft architecture? Can you coexist with the Microsoft architecture? Do you want to compete with Microsoft? Um, and as one of the vendors put it to me this week, Microsoft is like a snowball. It starts rolling and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you probably just want to get out of the way and go with the snowball. <laughs> now, some of the vendors have already told me we're really mad that they're getting into this and they're stealing our ideas and this and that. Um, I, I don't think that's the right way to think about it. I think you just have to accept the fact that, you know, big companies have the Microsoft technology already. They want to leverage it. They want to take advantage of the investments they have. And if we accommodate it in the HR tech stack, I think most vendors will do very well. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, backflips going on in every vendor right now trying to figure out how they can accommodate teams, build plugins, um, you know, understand better what Viva is. Um, and I think it's fine. I, I, I don't think it's going to um, hurt anybody. Um, you know, I think if you decide as anybody who's on the phone is a vendor, if you decide you want to compete with Microsoft, that's fine. 
Um, you know, their products are new and they won't do everything, but they do have a tendency. Microsoft has a tendency to sort of hang in there. And this is what I learned at Sybase. You know, when we were at Sybase, we were a very successful database company. Uh, Sybase had licensed the SQL Server to Microsoft for a little Tinker Toy project, which was called SQL Server. And then one day, Microsoft introduced the SQL Server with the same features as Sybase for one twentieth the price. And the product manager said to me, "I think we're dead. I don't think we're ever going to survive this." And you know, Sybase suffered um, and had to had to find new ways of working around this thing. In Microsoft, the other thing that's different about Microsoft today, Microsoft is not a monopolistic company. They want to work with partners. They're very neutral. There's no hesitation to work with anybody out there. I mean, if you think Microsoft is against you, they're really not. They just want you to plug into their infrastructure. Um, so, um, so I think it's a very significant announcement for many reasons. Yeah, Josh, I wanted to, there's a question that someone just wrote and it's it's not, I'm not, I'm not it's actually in the question section. And I'm not gonna, the question says, how will this impact Workday? But I'm just going to break it down into something completely different. Well, actually, the same thing, but more open. Workday's like, very aware of this. I've talked to Workday about it. They're, Workday's going to plug into this stuff. But I think at the end of the day, what's important to understand, and Bill Kudyk asked, does this impact, you know, is Dynamics all of a sudden going to become the next Workday? And what, you know, I think it's important to understand that this is something different than a core backend. Dynamics, see, okay, so Microsoft is business units. Dynamics is in one business unit. Viva is in the productivity and Microsoft 365 business unit. They're not giving up on Dynamics, but Dynamics is for medium-sized and small companies. Um, you know, it's not going to be Workday. I mean, they, they would like it to be Workday, but it's not Workday. It's probably more competitive for Ultimate, you know, UKG or those kinds of companies. Yep. But this isn't about that. This, this is a different right. thing. This is totally different. And I think that's what's really important is that I love how you just said it. This isn't about that. Like yeah. we shouldn't be trying to mix those two cons. One's an apple, one's an orange, just like they're two business units, right? I mean, is that? Is that I think, you know what I think? Here's, here's what I think will happen. I think this is a this is a sort of a shot in the arm or a wake-up call for Google, Cisco, WebEx, um, you know, Salesforce buying Slack. I don't know what they're going to do with that. Uh, it's, you know, Slack is not positioned as a as a normal business tool, and I don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, everybody who's in the collaboration and um, employee productivity space is going to say, "Oh, hmm, maybe we should be that too." So um, this idea of the employee experience layer. Um, Outside of the HR tech world, there's the IT tech vendors who are very big companies. They, they are going to want to be a part of this. Workplace by Facebook is a really cool product, um, and it competes with this. WebEx and Cisco probably want to compete with this. I think there's probably somebody at Salesforce right now who just spent the 20-some-odd billion on Slack who's thinking, what are we going to do about this? So, so that's the other thing is there's going to be ramifications on more of the IT vendors side um, also that, that I think will be very significant. Josh, one of the things that's hard about this platform, Jess, uh, I'm sorry, I know you probably want to jump in, but the great questions. And I, Christine McClain just framed a question beautifully here um, that said, do we think vendors will start to market their products on different employee experience personas? 
This is a package for office workers, retail workers. Yeah, that, that's going on now. I mean, I, there are vendors, I can't think of the name of them. There are vendors that only sell products for deskless workers. There's, I know a vendor that has built a platform for nurses that's incredible. It's nurse productivity, nurse goal management, nurse collaboration, and they have like all these hospitals using it. And it's, not, it's, it's way more comprehensive than Viva um, for nurses. So yeah, I think that's uh, probably what will happen. Sales productivity vendors, there's a, a dozen, you know, there's a sales productivity vendor that just got a hundred million dollars of money of, of venture capital. And, and they're really kind of a training tool, but it's only for sales. So yeah. <laughs> Someone said so many great products, so many ways to mess it up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one product for many personas would be great. Well, um, and that's, you know, and that's the challenge of, of those of you that are in EX is, um, you know, you would like to have one platform that does everything. And this is why ServiceNow is so successful is it is a bit of a, you know, Swiss army knife that can do a lot of different things. And I think Viva is, is similar. Viva is going to have a lot of um, componentized add-ons and there, there will likely be you know, a lot of integrators and, and consultants that build little add-ons to it for different workforce. I mean, the example I like, here's one. There's a company in the UK called Honest Burgers that uses Microsoft or uses uh, Workplace by Facebook. And they have uh, hamber high-end hamburger places all over London. And uh, people are trained for different positions in the hamburger uh, stores, you know, you're a cook, you're a, you know, you're a waiter or whatever it is. And they, uh, a lot of people were afraid to take public transportation to work. So they had to figure out how to, you know, arrange the shifts so people could find a shift at a store at a restaurant that was close enough to them that they could bicycle there. So they built an app on workplace that allows you to go. It looks at your Google map location um, looks in your certification database of what you're qualified to do, finds your available hours, matches it to the available hours at the stores within 15 minutes to, from you, and gives you a shift in a store where you don't have to take public transportation. Now, that's the kind of thing. Now, because Facebook Workplace is sort of like an employee experience app that is easy to, and by the way, you don't even have to log in. You can do this whole thing on a chat. You just, you just chat message and it does all this for you. Um, you know, Workday doesn't do that. Um, Ultimate doesn't do that. Kronos doesn't do that. So uh, this is where, where I think these, you know, these experience apps become so powerful for these very specific use cases in different worker populations. So Josh, I, I want to lead in. Jess, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I asked so many questions for, jo for Josh. Jess, did you have a question? Go ahead. Not really a question. I, you know, that's a great example because Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, think about the big consumer platforms or the big platforms that already have a vast majority of the world's population on them and the data they have about those users. It's so easy for them to provide solutions for work because so many people already have access. All you need is a mobile device. Um, and so they have more access. I, I, I'm seeing some comments about um, frontline workers and which populations of the workforce might be more at risk or, or are we more concerned about 
um, people without email addresses, all of those things. And I think that's why it's so easy and natural for some of these players to say, we can play easily in this space. It's just a matter of tweaking some of the technology that already exists. Yeah, and this is, you know, and, and again, Facebook to me is a, is a little bit of a slightly cousin, sort of a strange cousin because nobody trusts Facebook. Right. So at least I don't trust it. But, you know, you could buy Workplace by Facebook. And the reason people like it is anybody who has a phone can use it. You don't have to learn how to use it. And, and that, that's a huge selling point. But to some degree, that's what Microsoft's going after is the same idea. Yeah. Um, that the mobile app for Viva and the mobile app for Teams is great. It works. It's really easy to use. So, um, so the consumer-oriented tech companies will, will be a major player in the HR tech market. And then I think the question for, you know, for Oracle and success factors and Workday and, you know, any aspirations you had to become a consumer tech company are probably over. <laughs> Just yeah. take advantage of what you know how to do well, because the big guys have decided they want to be in the employee space. Yeah, no, I love that. It's great. Hi, Tori. Thanks for joining. Um, yeah, no, completely agree. So, Josh, I want to one of the things I want to talk about is your shift from Deloitte to what you've started now, which is, you know, the, your academy. And sure. yeah. you, and I, you and I talked a lot on like the conference circuit of like, how do you help people at scale? You know, because you do so much speaking, but this is what you're into now is really about educating people at scale. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to give you guys a little bit of that. Okay, so many of you, and I, I let me say this in a way that you can all, you know, sort of relate. I learned a lot as an analyst, continue to learn a lot from vendors and companies and data. I wanna share it as fast as I can. What I learned how to do very well in Burson and Associates and Deloitte is to write a study, to write a report, to write an article, to publish it. Um, that takes months. Sometimes it took us a year. Sometimes it took us a year and a half. Um, and uh, not only that, but the, the rate of change is accelerated. So by the time you write it, it's probably changed a little bit, maybe a lot. So you need, we needed a faster way to communicate with people, but I still didn't want to just to be sort of a gadfly of just yakking all day. Um, and the second thing that happened is the HR profession has become a center of innovation. You know, when I first started doing consulting and as an analyst, I would go to a company and they would say, how does GE do this? And I would run around and try to figure out how GE does it. And I'd say, oh, okay, I guess that's the way everybody wants to do it. Well, that's not true anymore. You can't copy GE, you can't copy Google, you can't copy Starbucks. You kind of have to do it, figure it out yourself. So HR is becoming an inventive profession where everybody gets to build things based on their experience with others. So, so, so HR is becoming a craft, not a traditional profession. And so I thought, of all the things that happened to me when I was doing research and, and doing working at Deloitte, people would constantly say to me, can you teach us a course on how to do that? Can you teach us? And I was like, I'm not a teacher. <laughs> I don't really like teaching. Um, I like researching and studying and writing. So uh, I thought, is there a way to create a professional academy for HR? And you know, and I thought about this, Deloitte had no interest in it. They said, no, 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 we don't want to do that. You're, don't, we're not doing that. So 
Um, so when I left, I basically started working on that. And that's what our academy is. It's a uh, professional development experience. It has courses and videos and um, research in it. We have about 35,000 people in there now. It's, wow. it's very inexpensive. It's only $250 a year for everything. We're putting all our research in there. Um, and, you know, it's on a platform that's very, very easy to use. Uh, we're constantly adding new stuff to it. We, we have collaboration groups kind of like this. We have, we have something we call the Big Reset, which are um, sprints with companies where they get together and talk about issues. And we put all that content in there. So what I'm trying to do is help you guys and all of your um, peers really stay up to date and professionalize your experiences. And the other thing we're working on, we're going to launch late next week, is what we call the HR Capability Project. For two years, people have come to me and said, hey, that's nice. You have these courses, but do you have a, do you have a competency model? So, Josh, I don't know if you just saw the question that came in, but it said, what do you think are the most important competencies HR teams need to ensure a digital transformation? Okay. Like, what perfect timing, oh. right? So yeah. I, can't, I can't share my screen on this or I could show it to you. So we built a, we built a, we call it a capability model. Um, it's being launched next week. We have about 4,000 people have already gone through it. It's, it's essentially a big, very easy to use way to benchmark your capabilities and assess them. And then we've built what we call capability accelerators. So you can take the capabilities that you want to develop and you can go into the JBA and you can get all sorts of developmental experiences to improve your capabilities. So that's what I've been working on. And it's been, the reason it's been fun for me is I knew a lot about corporate training already. And I got a chance to say, to, to, real, to understand how hard it is to do this. It's, you know, it's kind of a lot of work and it's tricky, but um, so far so good. That's what we're doing. Yeah, there's a link, you guys, there's a link to the Academy right there underneath Jess's picture. Uh, at least it's under my under my version of Jess's picture here. Um, hopefully it's there. Um, but I mean, Josh, 35,000 people are all taking classes. And one of the things that's fascinating is- well, You know, there's 20 million HR people. So there's a lot of people out there. <laughs> yeah. so the, we've got some work to do, right? Yeah. So Josh, one of the things, another question that came in, and I, this is kind of funny and lighthearted, I think, I hope, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but someone actually asked the question, um, you know, why, why, did, why do people have to leave companies like Deloitte when they turn 60X? Mm. Uh, Deloitte, okay. well, situation. I have nothing against Deloitte. I mean, I'm I'm out of there. But Deloitte is a is a cash machine for partners. They need to get rid of the senior partners so the junior partners can become partners. It's just the way that it's the way law firms work. It's the way all, you know, you work your way up this pyramid and you make more and more and more money. And then you know you get a little old and you get a little tired. You don't work quite so hard. <laughs> we want you out of here so the new guys can come in. So that's just the way it works. So it's nothing to do with the fact that we're losing our brains or anything. No, I mean, 62 is probably a little bit young. They probably should make it higher, but that's the way it works there. So there's one other question that I loved, and it's, it's one, I know we're almost out of time, but it was, what are you, what are the top three concerns? Did you see that question, Jess? Um, I lost it now, but it was like, what are, you, what are, what, oh yeah, what are the top three concerns you have for the HR space in this whole shift to ecosystem and experience and things like that? Well, I think the number one is to think of, I call it full stack HR. You need to think about yourself as a full stack professional. You have to learn, you know, the, the domain, 
You have to learn the adjacencies to your specialty. I mean, really take the profession seriously. HR has become a better and more interesting and more important profession every year, especially now. So that's number one is, you know, think of yourself as a full stack professional, like a full stack engineer. The second is you have to learn through experience. I mean, one of the things we found in the, in the capability assessment, yes, people want training. Yes, they want courses. Yes, they want events. What they really want is developmental experiences. They want to work on projects. So take a project in an area that you've always been interested in and just work on it and you'll learn a huge amount and you'll find that the next time you get a chance for a promotion or a new job, you will use the experience you learned from that. And the third thing that I always tell people is, um, I think great HR people are technologists, psychologists, economists, business people. This is a multi-discipline um, area we're in. Uh, you know, the job market and the, the, the political environment and the economy, they all affect HR. So, so you have this um, opportunity and really license to learn about all sorts of things going on in the world and then bring it to work and say, what is the relevance of that to our company in our situation? And that is the third thing I would say about great HR people is, you know, be expansive in your thinking and you'll realize it makes you much more effective in your job. Jess, bring the human side into this. We've been teching out a little bit here. I know. And, and it's all about supporting the human experience of work. And now we have a bigger job to support the whole person in more way. You know, that definition has expanded. I love the way you expanded that definition at the top, Josh. Um, you know, when I think about supporting the whole person and creating employee experience now and what we're calling the now of work, there are a few things that come to mind somehow somehow in the now of work, creating trust, transparency, and nurturing cultures of inclusion uh, and diversity. And technology has a role to play. Josh, what else would you add to that mix? How do EX leaders truly think about supporting the whole person in what is now the digital workplace? <clears throat> I, think, I think the human stuff is, is, most HR people are filled with that, with a level of empathy and understanding. I think the most interesting thing now is learning how to work across the company. We can't, HR is not in a silo. HR, IT, facilities, safety, business productivity, finance, this is the new world. You are no longer this little bump on a log trying to get a seat at the table. You're at the table. You better be ready to be at the table. <laughs> I mean, it, it isn't really a sideline anymore. It's central. So I think this, and, and that means you're, you, are a, you are a business person. You can't just say, I only do HR stuff. That's not true anymore. Um, you have to worry about the issues that everybody else is worrying about. And so the profession has sort of reached the stage that it always wanted to be, which is, you know, I want to have a seat at the table. I think it's absolutely there now. So, so that, that to me is the other big issue. That means, you know, take some courses at Harvard Business School, read the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, pay attention to what's going on in the economy. Read a couple of tech blogs now and then and keep up on that stuff. That That is part of your job. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Josh, can I ask you a question? This is a, this will be easy. So how are you doing? 
Easy question. So 2020. I'm tired of being home all the time, but I'm doing great. I love my work and I, my family's good. And I've, my, my daughter lived with us for four months while her looking for a new apartment. So we had that, which was kind of nice. Um, a a joy, right? It was a joy. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've had it with this pandemic though. I'm ready to get out of here. I haven't been vaccinated yet. I don't know about you guys. Like I'm too young. I'm not quite 65 yet. In two months I turned 65, but I can't get it yet. So I'm waiting. Where's the first place you're going to go, Josh, when, when you have no restrictions? Oh God, I don't know. I might go to India or someplace crazy like that. I'm not sure. <clears throat> I'm not sure I want to go to the airport. I don't know about you, Jason. I haven't been in an airport in a year, and I'm, it kind of gives me the creeps to think, thought about going over there. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you think you'll have the same travel schedule, because I've already stated publicly. I can't, I can't, I can't yeah. go back to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big difference. Well, you look great, uh, as thank someone you. said. Um, thank you so much for joining. Uh, everyone, check out the Josh Burson Academy. It's a great I mean, I love what you're doing. It's it's such a perfect use of the knowledge and capabilities that you built as an analyst to then, you know, help scale this industry. It's it's so, I mean, you know, what we do at LeapGen is small. Like we're doing it one company at a time. You're doing it, you know, thousands of companies at a time. So, you know, thank you for all you do. Bill Cutick said fly private, Josh, in case you're uh, I'm not quite that rich, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jeff, thank you so much for being our guest. What a great hour. How much fun. And I want to thank Gina Killey, by the way, for the agenda she has put together for Spring HR Tech. This is the first time the folks at LRP have done a spring show. And why not? Like, we have a better opportunity than we ever have to access content and speakers and learning and knowledge um, like we do through a conference like HR Tech. I'm so happy they've got a spring program planned for us. It's next month. Uh, and of course, you just saw two of the keynotes right here. Uh, and again, thanks to Jackie last week, Torin next week. We've got Katie, Mimi, and Jessica coming up. Please get registered, guys. Great opportunity to continue learning and changing our industry. Yeah, thanks you guys very much. Josh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Really appreciate it. And uh, we talk a lot about love uh, on this show. I know it's going to be weird when I say I love you, but love you, brother. Thank you so much for doing this. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah.